0: if. Morning. Morning. (laughs) We're going to continue talking about discipleship for the four weeks that I'm here. That's because it's so very important how we do this Jesus thing, answering the call of Jesus, what that looks like and sounds like and smells like in our lives. And, And we're going to remember that we've talked about how we try to make it harder than it really is we try to do these huge things that sometimes we don't accomplish as well as we would like and we don't do the little things that we would do wonderfully which is what God is calling us to do you remember our mantra just do you and let God do the rest so today we're going to continue hearing from Jesus in this sermon that he taught, Matthew tells us that he taught it on the mountain. Uh, Last week, if you remember, we talked about the Beatitudes, and Jesus told us in a sense that being a disciple is a lifetime occupation. Day by day, we grow into it. It's not something that happens automatically. So today he's going to tell us how to live out those days as we grow toward him. So let's look at the scripture together. It's from the fifth chapter of Matthew. It comes right after our scripture from last week. And hear now the word of God. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how will it become salty again? It's good for nothing except to be thrown away and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on top of a hill can't be hidden. Neither do people put a lamp, light a lamp and put it under a basket. Instead, they put it on top of a lampstand and it shines on all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before people so they can see the good things you do and praise your Father who is in heaven. Don't even begin to think that I have come to do away with the law and the prophets. I haven't come to do away with them, but to fulfill them. I say to you very seriously that as long as heaven and earth exist, neither the smallest letter nor even the smallest stroke of a pen will be erased from the law until everything there becomes a reality. Therefore, whoever ignores one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called the lowest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever keeps these commands and teaches people to keep them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. I say to you that unless your righteousness is greater than the righteousness of the legal experts and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven the word of god for the people of god this day okay y'all here's what we know We know that this place where Jesus was teaching, if you can just kind of close your eyes and imagine that the the people are sitting around Jesus, and Matthew says he's on the mountain. And what we know is that it's a beautiful place. Um, I know because I've been to the Holy Land, and I've seen what it looks like, and and many of you probably have as well. The wildflowers are gorgeous. The sky is as blue as it can be. And so we know that what the people are seeing is beautiful. But we also know that what was going on around them, that wasn't so beautiful. If you remember, the Romans were in control, right? They were taxing the people to death. Everything was tense. Life was hard for the people, Jews and Gentiles alike. The the Pharisees were sort of in control of the Jews. They were the church leaders, so to speak. And what they had done during this time was just kind of to have hunkered down in this strict following of the law. It was easier for them to do that because they, they didn't want to rock the boat. They didn't want to cause any problems that would upset the Romans and cause trouble for themselves. And, and, and they had so strict a, a, a following that the, the doing of this and the doing of that and the not doing of this and the not doing of that, that had become more important to them what they did than who they loved and, and how they cared for one another and, 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 and for love for their neighbor. Mercy and, and justice and love, they were just luxuries they couldn't afford. They were things that could rock the boat and upset the Romans. And so the Jews walked on eggshells. Everybody was just trying to take care of number one. And this was the climate that Jesus came into, and it's the climate that he calls us to come into as well. That's why he said that he he didn't come to abolish the law. He, He came to fulfill it. That's why Matthew put him on the mountain, because Moses gave the first law from the mountain, right? And now Jesus is on the mountain, and he's giving this new covenant. Jesus himself had become the law, but it was the law of love. And you know, the very first thing this law of love said Said, we need us some salt in here. Don't bow down and let the Romans trample all over you, make you think you had no flavor, make you think you were worthless, like you had no kick to yourself. Jesus said, Y'all remember who you are. You're God's chosen people. In effect, Jesus was saying, Let's bring some saltiness to this place. Get out in your neighborhood and pour yourself out for one another. Don't stay holed up inside. And he said, light. We we need light. Stop hiding under a basket. God didn't create you in your own special gift and the little light that shines from your life for you to hide under a basket. Get out there. Do what God created you to do. Just just watch me, Jesus said. I'll, I'll lead you. I'll show you the way. And he has, hadn't he? He has shown us the way because we know how this particular story ended. Jesus did rock the boat, Jesus crushed the eggshells to pulp. Jesus put people first in his ministry, and he got himself killed for it. But the light overcame the darkness. And so here he is in our lives. Here he is with us today, calling us and leading us and pushing us and pulling us into his kingdom. But here's the really good part. It's not only us who gather as the church together that Jesus is pushing and pulling, but also the most unlikely of characters who live in this world with us. Now, here's what I think Jesus is saying to us this morning. I think he's saying, thank you for being here in church, in in, in this place. I I think you'll find strength here. I think you'll find love here. I think you'll find peace here. But this isn't all there is, not by a long shot. Jesus is saying, what I really want you to do is to go out there in the world. I'll I'll go with you. I want you to go out there because that's where the church truly is. And I don't want you to miss it. So if it's okay with y'all, I'm going to spend a little bit of time telling you a story. This is sort of my testimony. Uh, we used to call it testimony when I was a little, little kid in the church, in youth group. It, it is an absolutely true story, um, and I've told it many, many, many times before, and it's always touched me when I retell the story, and people tell me that it has touched them as well, so I hope it will you this day. This story took place in Norfolk, Virginia. Uh, and I'm going to say it was probably around 1982. I might be a year or two off one way or the other, but it was somewhere around, around in there. Uh, my husband, Jim, is retired from the Navy, and he was still active duty at that time. Now, Jim was on destroyers in the Navy, and destroyers are made to go. You know, they don't like to stay in port. They're made to go, not always to destroy, thank goodness, but just to go. And so he was gone. He was in the Navy for 20 years, and he was gone literally 17 of those years on nine-month cruises and six-month cruises and two-month cruises and two-week exercises and different things like that. He was always gone. I didn't work. I had We had three children uh, because those things that you hear about poor people, (laughs) Who, who can't afford to work because they can't afford to pay the child care because of the salary that they get. That literally is true. Don't ever not believe that because I had graduated from high school, but I didn't have education or training, and I had three children. And so I stayed home with them, and we ate beans and, and just made do. Um, I wanted somebody to be home when they got home from school since we knew that their dad wouldn't be there most of the time. Cut some snickerdoodles. Do you all know what snickerdoodles are? Yeah. Yeah, they're so good. I wanted them to feel good about coming home and knowing that, knowing that I was there waiting for them. But the reason I cooked snickerdoodles was because it was cheaper than buying cookies in the grocery store, you know. You could really get by a lot cheaper making things yourself. I don't know if it's the, the same way now, but when we were serving in the military, you literally were poor. I think that military pay for enlisted men, which my husband was until the last few years of his, um, his uh, career, I think military pay was probably less than minimum wage. I mean, it, they, the Navy always said, if we wanted you to have a wife, we would have issued you one in your sea bag. And they, they really did believe that. So, uh, you know, we struggled. We just, we just struggled. It was, it was hard, but we just tried to do our best. Now, about this time, um, our daughter Jane was probably 15 years old, and she had her first boyfriend. His name was John. Now, this sounds terrible, but we lovingly uh, referred to him as Greasy-Headed John. I don't know if he did it on purpose. I mean, it may have been the Southern Rock thing, and he was trying to do that. But every time I would look at him, it looked like maybe he had just forgotten to take a shower one or two times too often. But anyway, there was John. He was not the one that any parent would necessarily have chosen for, for their daughter. I remember he had a car. It, I don't know what kind it was, but it was low to the ground, and it was loud. It, I'd, I'd hear it, vroom, vroom. You always knew. So um, I was a little bit more accepting of John than my husband was, than Jane's father. I remember one time he had been gone for two weeks and came home, and John had or made himself very comfortable in our home. And so he was laying on the couch, sound asleep in the living room. He had, his shoes were off. He had the newspaper over his chest, and then part of it was thrown on the floor. Uh, my husband is a military person and he likes things organized and neat. He does not like his n- newspaper thrown on the floor. So I remember the day he walked in the door and he literally looked at the situation. He walked over and he picked that young man up out of his sleep. He carried him over to the front door, set him out on the front porch. Came back and got his shoes and threw them out there. <laughs> I can still, our poor daughter, I still remember that. <laughs> so anyway, this, this story that, that I want to tell you took place, um, it, it was on a Saturday morning when we were living in this house in Norfolk. Jim was away on a six-month cruise. He was probably about halfway through, maybe a little bit more. And it was um, almost the end of the month. It was like four, four days until the end of the month. And, and one thing about military pay, um, you get one allotment check, and usually that allotment, well, always, that allotment check does not last as long as the month lasts. And so it was four days until payday. And, and I can remember going into the kitchen, and in the kitchen there was a can, one can of lima beans and one can of corn. And that's all that was there. There was no milk. There was no bread. There was nothing left in the refrigerator. We had, we had eaten down to absolutely nothing. Now, what you can do in situations like this, I mean, you can always call home to mom and dad, right? Can y'all help me out just a little bit? But there comes a time in life when you just can't do that anymore, you know? And if there are bankers in the room, just stick your fingers in your ears because I don't want you to hear this, but you can always write a check knowing you're going to have to pay the overdraft charge. But even that gets humiliating, and it's like, ah. So I remember this particular Saturday morning, I was just bummed. I was just, I mean, I remember sitting on the floor in the living room. The kids were not awake yet and and just crying, you know. It, It was like, God, why is it always this way? I, I, we tried so hard to budget. I remember paper towels and aluminum foil was like a luxury. You didn't buy those things. And, and, and no matter how hard we tried, though, it, it seems like it, it was always difficult. Even to this day, my kids won't eat tuna casserole because we ate so much of it. So... You know, I said to God, here we are, we're, we're defending the nation, we really are, we're, we're, we're trying to do what's right, why is it so hard? And, and I just cried. So, as has it, you got to get up and go, you know. So a little bit later that morning, I was in the den, and I heard, vroom, and i thought oh lord the last person i want to see is greasy-headed john <laughs> not not saturday morning no but the doorbell rang and i answered it and i couldn't all i could see was the tip of his head just the top of his greasy head because he had bread. He had all these loaves of bread. He had hamburger buns and hot dog rolls and cinnamon bread and raisin bread and wheat bread and, and English muffins. All this stuff just just piled up in his arms like this. And, and I could hear him talking behind the stack of bread. And he said, somebody double ordered by accident at the store. He worked at the Bilo down the street. And he said, we gave a lot to the soup kitchen and everything, but they told us we could take the rest and take it to family or anybody we wanted to. So so I thought you might like this, he said, as he was walking into the kitchen. He put it down on the counter, and he said, bye, got to go. This is a true story now. I'm not making any of this up, I promise you with all my heart. Later that day, the doorbell rang again, and I opened it. And it was Bob, our landlord. He, owned, he lived in the house next door, but he owned the house that we were renting. A sweet, sweet man. They were Presbyterian. They were members of big Presbyterian church in Norfolk. Um, very, very, a wonderful Christian man. John, I don't think, on the other hand, had ever been into a church in his life. But uh, Bob was, was truly, truly a, a sweet Christian man. And he was standing there at my door, and he had this aluminum pie plate and in the pie plate, there were like eight flounder, you know, flounder, How they were like big, and you know how they are like sparkly, the skin, yeah. and the sun was shining that day, and he was standing on the porch, and, and it, th- those fish were just kind of sparkling like diamonds, they weren't wrapped up at all, because he said that he had just been deep sea fishing on the Chesapeake, he had been fishing in the Chesapeake Bay just that morning, and they had brought everything home, and it was in the ice chest. And and he was cleaning them, and he thought about me. And he said, I just thought you might like some of these. And he handed them to me, and then he said, bye. Got to go. It took me a few days to, to figure it out. I hate to admit that, but it did. It, it took me a few days to feel as if Jesus had been talking to me and and maybe saying something like this. You know, a long time ago, I provided this miracle of bread and fish for the people who needed it. Why can't I do it now? Oh, my goodness. I remember just being so touched by what had happened. And, and, and for years, I thought that story was all about me, you know. I was the diva, and, 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 and God was just reaching down especially for me. Well, he was. But as I learned more about the gospel and more about who Christ is and how, how, how God loves the world around us, I began to understand that this was much, much more that this, was a, this was a story about salt and light. And, and, and their names were Greasy-Headed John and Sweet Old Bob, disciples of Jesus Christ, whether they knew it or not. Bob died a few years ago. We kept in touch with his family. I don't know where old John. John's probably a millionaire now, you know. It's like, why didn't we hang on to him? (laughs) But here's what I want you to remember, because you know these people in your lives as well. Because of them, my life was changed. And that's the truth. I I am not the same. They are a real part of, of my call to ministry as I answered this call of Christ in my life. And I, I believe with all my heart that because of them, I'm standing here right now. See, that, that's how discipleship works. That's how we are salt and light in the world. That's how we just do us. We just share Christ with everyone we meet. Everyone. Don't pick and choose, but everyone we meet along the journey. That's all we do. That's all we can do. And God does the rest. Here's the good news for y'all. You are changing people's lives. I bet you didn't know that. I bet you had not thought about it. But you are. God is using you to change people's lives one smile at a time, one forgiveness at a time, one embrace at a time, one tuna casserole at a time, one loaf of bread at a time. One random act of kindness at a time. You are changing the world because you are who you are, salt and light. Jesus said, I've not come to abolish the law, but I've come to fulfill it. To fulfill it with love. And if there's one thing I've learned in my life in all these years... It's this, love always wins, always, every single time. Follow me, says Jesus, and I'll show you the way. And all the salty old disciples said, amen and amen. Let's pray together. Gracious God, how we thank you. For somehow, some way knowing us and guiding us and, and showing us simply how to, to touch the lives of others, especially when we don't know it. So just make us open and available to you. We thank you, Father. We thank you. We give our hearts to you this day and ask you to walk with us. In Jesus' name. Amen.